We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 13, once again verses 10 to 16. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have here no continuing city, but seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Father, this morning we pause to return to the text, that through the word and thy spirit's teaching, we might grasp the privileges that we do possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only do we have the privilege of access to thee by Christ our Savior, but we have indeed opportunity to present to you appropriate sacrifices as detailed in our text and in other places in the New Testament whereby as believers we might please you, glorify you, and worship you aright. And so help us in this hour to be duly instructed as your people concerning the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of praise and that we might, as it were, your children, be committed to those praises, even in this day. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon the flock, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. We've said now for a number of weeks that Hebrews is a book of exhortation, a book of exhortation to believers as is stated in verse 22 later on in this chapter. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. We've also said that Hebrews 13 addresses some very practical matters in four categories. First, fellowship. Second, leadership. Now, worship and then lordship. Last week we worked with the first exhortation in the worship section from verses 10 to 16 and that first ex exhortation, verse 13, let us go forth therefore unto him. We said that the Old Testament sense of worship uh, and uh, uh, involved as it were going uh, to the altar in the tabernacle 
and offering their sacrifices as prescribed under the law. We also said that that sense of ritual worship uh, can be summarized by the terms going and offering just exactly as the exhortations are found here in going and in offering. We contrasted that Old Testament worship pattern and the sense of it with the New Testament sense of worship in the full reality of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins. The ritual sense of worship in going and offering is now replaced by the reality of going and offering through Jesus Christ our Lord. Old Testament worship was characterized by an altar of sacrifice, the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the city of Jerusalem. New Testament worship is characterized by the cross of Christ, his priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, and the heavenly Zion to which we have come. Hebrews 12. 24. The Old Testament worship was the shadow. The New Testament worship is the substance. Old Testament worship foreshadowed worshiping God in spirit and in truth. New Testament worship is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Last time we considered the exhortation, let us go forth unto him. And all worship and all gathering of God's people and all devotional commitment and all personal response of man to God is all about going unto him. Going to Christ for salvation, going to Christ for help, going to Christ for prayer, going to Christ for the reality of all things. Uh, uh, as it relates to the context of life. And now we add to that idea of the go to Christ, verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer. We now consider something that is not natural for us to consider in light of our ethnic backgrounds uh, prior to coming to Christ. We are going to consider the New Testament offerings of acceptable worship to God. It's not too hard when you start out the uh, exhortation at verse 15 by the words, by him. It's not too hard to understand that anything we would offer God, anything we would offer God, anything we would offer to God, let me say it one more time, anything we would offer to God must come by Christ. If it doesn't come by Christ, God's not accepting of it. The only way that God accepts me or accepts you is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is by Christ that we offer acceptable sacrifices in worship to God. The sacrifice of praise as it is further referenced in verse 15, by him 
Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The sacrifice of praise, as referenced in verse 15, is further specified in the verse as the fruit of our lips, giving thanksgiving to God. New Testament worship does not involve ritual sacrifices at all. But New Testament worship does offer real sacrifices to God that involve praise and thanksgiving and add the Bible word continually. A worshipful heart and attitude of praise to God continually. As now Jewish readers of this text, it would not as readily appear to us that the terminology sacrifice of praise is an Old Testament thing. That the terminology sacrifice of praise is here offered as likewise a New Testament thing. But the sacrifice of praise has a direct Old Testament counterpart. Under the law, the Old Testament saint who had completed all of the required sacrifices and knew himself to be loosed from the bondage of his own sin by faith in God, could offer, in addition, out of his voluntary gratitude, the sacrifice of thanksgiving or the sacrifice of praise. And you can see in the reading of the Old Testament, places where that prescribed additional offering called the sacrifice of praise is called for and offered. You can see it, for instance, in the Hillel, in that packaging of psalms that are used at holiday periods in Israel. Turn with me quickly to Psalm 116, Psalm 116, and look with me at the way that the psalmist expressed, his, expressed himself in verses 16 through 19. And of course, we're looking particularly for that sacrifice of thanksgiving, or otherwise translated, the sacrifice of praise. Psalm 116, verse 16. O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, 
in the midst of thee, old Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Now just for a moment, take those words and think about that Old Testament worship pattern. There was an Old Testament altar. It was in the tabernacle or in the, te- or in the temple. Uh, uh, the, the, the sacrifices would be offered there. And uh, those sacrifices would be facilitated by uh, the Levitical priesthood. Uh, and uh, and uh, as a result of that, they would have a sense of fulfilling the law uh, in the city of God as named on earth, namely Jerusalem. And all of the component parts of worship, the Old Testament worship, are clearly indicated in the end of Psalm 116, verses 16 through 19. You can see what is being prescribed here is in addition to the regular demanded sacrifices under the law for sin and well standing before God. Again, verse 16, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I would say, thou hast saved me from my sin. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I am assured that I am your child. Not because of the sacrificial blood of animals that was completed on that day, but because of faith in God's promise that has now been fulfilled in Christ. Nonetheless, the Old Testament worshiper, verse 17, says, I will offer, and I would add the words, in addition, I would offer in addition to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is an additional sacrifice. This is a voluntary sacrifice, as we shall hear. And, and the psalmist says, we will call upon the name, I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows, which interestingly is another prong of emphasis in regards to the sacrifice of praise. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now. And where will I pay them? In the presence of his people. I'm going to pay this vow. I'm going to make this sacrifice of praise in the context of public worship. I'm going to do it in the midst of other people that name the name of God. I'm not going to do it by myself in my bedroom. I'm not going to do it in my closet. I'm not going to do it in the kitchen or the bathroom. I'm going to do it in the company of God's people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the, O Jerusalem, praise, hallelujah, the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Single word in the Hebrew, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. You have in that psalm a beautiful representation of Old Testament worship and the background necessary to return to Hebrews chapter 13 and to understand verse 15 as it relates to the sacrifice of thanksgiving or the sacrifice of praise that is incumbent upon the children of God in the New Testament era. No Old Testament, or for that matter, New Testament saint, can repay the Lord for redemption, but both can willingly acknowledge him publicly at worship. The Old Testament saint did this 
by giving the sacrifice of thanksgiving or praise in offering at the tabernacle. The sacrifice of praise, as it was known under the law and willingly offered, fell under the umbrella of a group of communal offerings. Here's the key phrase to jot down, communal offerings. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, was one of the named communal offerings. All of the communal offerings flowed out of the very same instructions given for the peace offering. You could say that all the communication or communication, communal offerings were peace offerings. You could say that. All the communal offerings uh, declared that the individual and God were indeed in a condition of peace. And that's what the peace offering is. It is the declaration that the soul of the worshiper and God has come to peace. Other named communal offerings included the wave offering of the priest, the vow offering, as you have it referenced in Psalm 116, and the ordination offering given when a priest began his service in the tabernacle or the temple. The Old Testament believer could offer, in addition to the required sacrifices, he could offer a physical sacrifice of praise to God in the tabernacle, in the midst of the congregation of Israel, as a demonstration of his praise and thanksgiving to God. It was indeed, in the Old Testament, the offering of a thankful soul. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, was the offering of a thankful soul. In the New Testament, the believer is exhorted, back in Hebrews 13, to give a verbal sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God perpetually. This New Testament action in worship is defined in Hebrews 13, 15 as giving thanks to the name of God using our lips. The fruit of our lips is the verbal testimony that is given to God's glory, raised, as it were, before fellow saints and lost sinners. Praise and thanksgiving is to be continually in our mouths, Paul said to the Thessalonians. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. So we understand that New Testament worship uh, is uh, to be construed in the reality of this lip logic. New Testament worship is construed as real concerning lip logic. By the way of words, giving thanks. 
which translates in verse 15 from a Greek word that most literally means to confess. The New Testament believer in perpetual worship through lip logic confesses to God before the congregation and before others. Confesses the truth of God as to God's greatness and as to God's goodness. If there's one thing that your fellow believers ought to be hearing from you is that you are thankful for the greatness and the goodness of God in your life. If there's one thing that you ought to be hearing from me uh, is that I am grateful, that I am thankful, that I praise God for the greatness and the goodness of God in my life. And you and I are to understand that this is our primary means to be able to impact, as it were, uh, lost and dying sinners. We are to engage in the aspect of raising testimony uh, to the greatness and the goodness of God. This prescribes our praise, as it were, with the truth of God. And then add to that lip logic in verse 16, the worshiping logic that flows out of the way that you and I live. Verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The New Testament worshiper lives a life of godly benevolence. He or she does not just do good things. The believer does good works as appointed in Christ Jesus. The word communicate is a familiar word to us, even in the Greek. It's the word koinonia, meaning to share or to fellowship, as it were in the sphere of faith, hope, and love. In Christ, the living fruit in worship to God is broad in its application as to regarding possibility, but it includes a faithful representation of the gospel or evangelism of sinners. It includes the edification of saints. It includes congregational care one for another. The Apostle Peter tells us that believers in Jesus are built up a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices. You and I are to offer spiritual sacrifices. Having grown up in uh, the Baptist world, I was uh, accustomed to hearing the two-pronged emphasis of almost every pulpit coming out of the 1950s into the 1960s, and uh, likewise in the 1970s until it was soundly rebelled against and, and reconfigured in other errant ways. 
But the old Baptist message was get saved, get serving. Get saved, get serving. Get saved and get serving. And uh, people heard that as uh, trust the Lord for your salvation and then find something to do. Uh, do something. Pull weeds, cut grass, wash windows, uh, bake cookies, bake bread, do something. But get saved and get serving. That wording is not too far from what the Bible does actually say. But what the Bible says is, go to Christ and make sure you're offering. And what is it that you offer? Bread? Pulled weeds? Washed windows? No. The prescribed... Offerings, the prescribed sacrifices, the prescribed service that the Bible itself commands, first and foremost, is the sacrifice of praise, the offering of the fruit of our lips, that a young believer ought to be taught how, in good circumstances and in bad circumstances, to speak to the honor of God's greatness and goodness no matter what the circumstance. And that young believers ought to be taught, first and foremost, not only the lip logic of serving God, but the life logic of serving God, which has to do with good works and communication and the sense of fellowship has to do with good works to which all believers are appointed in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and the fellowship of the saints and the truth of God as prescribed under our walk with God. In the broader context of the New Testament, real and actual spiritual offerings and sacrifices are referenced repeatedly in relationship to our very real and actual function as priest under the high priestly ministry of the risen and ascended Christ. The Apostle John references our having been made priest under the leadership of Christ three times in the book of the Revelation. Yet, this matter of the believer's priesthood is treated skeptically by many evangelical scholars who treat these references as honorary, not operational. And so, because of the skepticism that even evangelicals have brought to the B-I-B-L-E, then we allowed for years this idea of uh, trust the Lord for your salvation and bake a tree of cookies. And believe me when I tell you, I am not anti-cookie. <laughs> but I am apart and appalled by the way in which people have been deceived into thinking 
that the Bible message is get saved and get doing something for God. When the Bible says, go to Christ and go to Christ and go to Christ and go to Christ and offer in service, spelled W-O-R-S-H-I-P, offer sacrifices of praise. We should be teaching young believers the lip logic of worship. We should be teaching young believers the life logic of worship. And then, if they uh, uh, want to make cookies, and they want to clean glass, and they want to pull weeds, and they want to do other things along the way in honor to God, well, hallelujah. But we ought to make sure that no young believer misses the lip logic and the life logic that is prescribed in the Word of God. And because we've been weak, we are weak. And God would make us strong. Let's be strong. Let's be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen? We declare without fear of men much smarter than us that you and I in Christ are an actual royal priesthood having direct access to the throne of God as enabled by Christ to offer spiritual sacrifices to the pleasure of the Almighty. You and I can know today when we put our head on the pillow that God has been pleased with us. Of all the things that you and I have to wonder about, we don't have to wonder about that. The lip logic, the life logic of worship is absolutely specified in the B-I-B-L-E. That includes, of course, the presentation of our bodies as living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This includes, of course, the sharing of the gospel with other people, that they might be offered to God as servants, Romans 15, 15 and 16. This includes the offering of money and material support for the advance of the ministry, Philippians 4, 15 to 18. This includes, as we have it in our text, rendering unto God in words and deeds. But listen, the cherished doctrine of the priesthood of the believer is better understood and embraced when which, when which you, or when which you uh, add to it the biblical information and develop as it in within the heart the conviction uh, of the help that comes to us uh, to function in this particular way. Uh, we, we say it in a corner man, uh, corny manner sometimes, but there's a reason why I'm not wearing a collar and a little tab in the front. Because around here, I am not the only priest. And I am not the only minister. We understand that all God's people are priests. And all God's people are ministers. That doesn't mean they're all pastors. 
But they are all ministers. And they are all priests. This idea of the priesthood of the believer is interesting to uh, think about, and we gain a little help. If we do a quick review of church history, in the second century of the church on earth, baptism and communion began to be viewed by some as sacramental. That means that people began to believe, quite contrary to the Bible, that Christian baptism and communion were meritorious, that they earned you favor or brownie points with God. It was at that point in history that the church bishops and elders and pastors began to be called priests in the sense of clergy. The general priesthood of all believers was no longer a point of preaching and teaching after the year 200 A.D., although clearly in biblical emphasis. And the idea of the believer's priesthood was not preached widely on the earth for some 1,300 years. Until the time of Luther and the Reformation. From 200 A.D., to 1500 A.D., it was the ordained bishops and elders that were considered by the Lord's church on earth as priests. Praise God, the Reformation shook the dust off the truth of the priesthood of all God's family. All God's family are to understand the lip logic. All God's family are to understand the life logic and to worship God in the way that he wants, in the way that pleases him. You not only gain some help from history, you gain some help by thinking about the Old Testament priesthood under Aaron. Uh, the Jewish priests were all, the Jewish priests were all sons of Aaron. They alone were charged with the tabernacle and the temple service as priests. Now the whole of the tribe of Levi assisted in tabernacle and temple service, but only the family of Aaron, the high priest, functioned as priests. Likewise, only the family under the great high priest Jesus Christ functions as priest. Priestly service is a family thing, whether you're in the Old Testament or whether you're in the New Testament. And if you are a child of God, you are a priest, the priesthood of the believer. And we also get help 
from reviewing in our minds uh, the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Hebrews demonstrates clearly that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is that one final comprehensive sacrifice upon which a person can know himself to be right in relationship with Christ's holy God. Salvation full and free, exclusively based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross with nothing need be added. Amen? But ought we not be thankful? Ought we not be grateful? Ought we not bring the voluntary sacrifice of praise in light of what Christ has done for us? That would be Hebrews 13's point. Let us offer, let us offer, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Lip logic. Life logic. That Jesus Christ might be praised. Let us go to him. Let us go to him. Let us go to him. Hence you understand the chorus. Let's talk about Jesus. Let us offer. Let us offer. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. Lip logic. Life logic. That God would be glorified here and now as well as there and then. Oh God, help us to be a responsive people to thy word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.